the last time we got together, I started out the message by saying that uh, there are some messages that love to be preached and some messages that love to be heard, and then there are messages that we don't like to preach and we don't like to hear. Um, this is not one of those messages. Uh, as we've been going through the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, he's going to go through a period of time in the Scriptures where he does a lot of teaching, and he's doing a lot of teaching in parables. Now, I suspect that Jesus did a lot of teaching and preaching throughout, uh, but there are times when uh, the writers of the Gospel emphasize his miracles or his love or then his teachings. And this is a kind of time during his, uh, toward the end of his earthly ministry that it, they emphasize his teaching. Now, the reason that I say that um, this sermon is going to be not the one that you like to hear or don't want to hear is that, that you've heard a lot of sermons in the past by others who are probably quite powerful, quite convicting, touched you. But I'm going to take a different approach, one that I believe is biblical, which means that you're going to initially probably resist what I have to say, but I believe what I have to say is not what I have to say, but what the Scriptures say. That's why I have titled this sermon, The Parables of the Lost. And I only do that because in the Scriptures, not everything contained in our Bible is the Scriptures. You go, wait a minute. So for instance, in most of your Bibles, maybe all, we're going to start with Luke chapter 15, and Luke 15 is written, but it isn't there. Luke didn't say, okay, new chapter. We decided to divide it up. And then you will see below that probably the lost sheep. That's not in the Bible either. People put that there to help you find this particular narrative. So as you're searching through and you see the little bold section, lost sheep, okay, that's what I'm looking for. But the problem is sometimes they get it right and sometimes they get it wrong. And so sometimes we lean on those notes, if you will, by other people who may or may not be accurate. So it's the first parable that's going to be discussed out of three is the lost sheep. If I were titling this sermon, I mean, if I were titling this particular parable, I wouldn't have put in the lost sheep. I would have put in the searching owner or shepherd. For you see, when you look at this, what your emphasis is, is on the sheep. And so that's why the second part in parenthesis of my sermon is you're so vain, you probably think these parables are about you. So of those, there are some of you who are old enough to remember that Carol King song. She probably wrote it. And, it, and I think it's interesting because as I thought about it, and as I recall that song, she kept talking about him. 
So I think it was legitimate for him to think that the song was about him, whether he was vain or not. But there are times that we're so vain, we think it's about us. Let me put you in a little secret. It's about God. So I'm going, and, I'm, and the reason why I'm going to say this is the context. And a lot of times people read these three parables either separately, but outside the context. So here's the context, verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. So notice, the tax collectors and the sinners were already coming to him because they felt a need for him. They felt the love and acceptance of him and forgiveness by him. So they were already coming. But notice, but both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now you see, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes, and all the religious leaders, they always had problems with Jesus. He healed on the Sabbath. And not only did he heal once, he kept healing on the Sabbath. He would teach things in parables, and they didn't understand them. He would hang out with sinners. He would even touch them. He would participate. He would eat with them. All these things that these religious leaders are thinking a holy person wouldn't do. And so they're always grumbling at what Jesus does. And so he told them this parable. Notice who he's telling the parable to. He's not telling the parable to the sinners and tax collectors. He's telling them to the religious leaders. So his first parable is this. So I told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Now I want to stop there. Notice a couple of things. Jesus is teaching a parable about going after and finding the lost, which means having 99% of what is yours is not good enough for God. If he has a hundred sheep, he wants all a hundred sheep. Ninety-nine is never enough. And so he says, there are those of you, if you own sheep, if you had lost one, you'd go out and seek it. And when they find it, notice what it does. You, I would probably say, put a rope around the sheep's neck and pull it back home. And if it was reluctant, just kind of drag it with me. But notice what this shepherd or this owner of the sheep does. He takes the sheep and puts it on his shoulders and carries it back. God is telling you, when you're lost, when you don't know where you are, He doesn't just drag you back. He picks you up and carries you. Now to me, the fact that the owner, the shepherd of the sheep, goes out and looks for him, even though he has 99, and the fact that he carries it on the shoulders tells me this story is not about the sheep, but it's about the owner or the shepherd. It's about God and what God is willing to do for those who are sinners and tax collectors and for yes, for you and for me. So that's why I said it's not about the lost sheep. It's about the searching owner or shepherd of the sheep. 
But notice again what he does after he finds it, places it on his shoulders, and he rejoices. He's happy he's found the sheep. Notice there isn't any condemnation. You stupid sheep, how come you left? You dumb sheep, you, you made me go after you, you irreverent sheep. No, he rejoices that he's found the sheep and he carries it home just as the way God does you and I. For as the scripture says, for we all like sheep have gone astray. No one searches for God. No one is good. But God searches for us, finds us, carries us, and rejoices. And when he comes home, notice what happens. He calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He's going, the party is going to be extensive. It's not just the owner of the sheep. He's going to call his friends and neighbors and this party, because I found my one lost sheep. He isn't, oh, I'm happy I kept the 99. He's partying for the lost one. I tell you, I tell you, scribes, Pharisees, religious leaders. That in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The Pharisees think they need no repentance because they quote-unquote follow the law, but it's obvious that they don't just by the way they treat Jesus and the sinners and the tax collectors. So Jesus is telling them, you may grumble, but heaven is rejoicing that these sinners and tax collectors, even if there was only one, would be rejoicing. There's a party in heaven when one person repents. But he doesn't stop there. He's going to tell another parable. It's called the lost coin. And if I were going to put it in black letters, I would call it the searching woman. Verse 8 says this, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Now I want to stop there. I suspect you're like me. You've lost, let me say, misplaced your wallet or purse. And usually when I've lost my wallet, misplace my wallet. I ask my wife, have you found it? Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. And I look around the house. I try to think, well, where was the last time I had it? And I look. Notice what this woman does. She cleans the house looking for it. She's working hard to find it. I simply gaze around. And my wallet's important to me because not only has my driver's license and the credit cards, and not that they have any great value. I just don't want to spend the time getting them new ones, especially going to the DMV. That's not a picnic. Not something I want to do. It's when it's to be renewed, I hope they send me a new one. I don't have to go to the DMV. And so with this, this woman is saying, 90% is not good enough. Well, I got nine coins. It's okay. No, she's searching for the one that was lost. And she searches, not like I search, just kind of gazing around. She cleans the house searching for it. 
until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, kind of sounds like the lost sheep, right? Saying, rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost. Again, she invites a party because something that was valuable to her, and I suspect this woman was probably poor because it's talking about 10 coins. That's what she had. Doesn't say she's a widow, but she doesn't ask her husband to help her find it because she probably realizes he's not much good at looking anyway. So she searches, cleans the house, she finds it, and she parties because she's found it. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sitter who repents. Jesus is saying, not only is heaven rejoicing, not only is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rejoicing, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. And they're ones who have never received repentance or redemption. But they understand what's at stake, and they see and they party because the lost has been found. Because the religious leaders grumbled, Jesus says you need to change your perspective. The perspective ought to be joy that these sinners and tax collectors are coming to God. And now, the, the next and last one that we'll talk about today, the prodigal son. This is the tough one, because what I'm about to tell you is going to be contrary to those great sermons you've heard, those powerful sermons, those convicting sermons. The title, if there should be a title to this, is The Father and Two Sons. Quite frankly, you might simply say, it's about the loving father. The two sons are kind of the staging area. And in this parable, I want you to kind of think of it like a three-act play. The first act, the first scene, it says in verse 11, and he said, a man had two sons. Okay. Notice, again, we all think prodigal son, but the father had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me now. Most everybody, when they read this parable, tends to identify with the first younger son, the son that we call the prodigal son, because as we're going to read, he messes up big time. And we'll see how he messes up big time. But to me, right here is his greatest sin. Not that he went and blew the money. But in essence, he told his father, I can't wait for you to die. So give me my money now. It's not good enough to be with you. I want your money. And I want to do my thing on my own time when I want to do it. And you just haven't cooperated by dying yet. So give me my money. And notice what the father does. Because I'd have probably said, slap him across the face and say, go to work. Or get out of here or something. So he divided his wealth between them. 
he complied with the son's request. I just wish you were dead. Give me what is mine. Well, quite frankly, it's not yours. It's your father's. But he gave it to you anyway. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate. And it has a really nice, with loose living. The older brother is going to tell you what the loose living consisted of. But let's just say he didn't invest it in 401k. He didn't buy property. He didn't get his money to work for him. He spent it on his appetites. He spent it on his pleasure. He spent it today, not thinking about tomorrow. And now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that company, country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now this, we, I've been around sows, pigs, hogs, swine. They're gross. They'll even eat their own young. And if you've ever fed pigs, you feed them what is called slop, which is pretty much everything people don't want to eat. It's shells of peas, it's all kinds of stuff mixed together in a slurry, and it smells gross. How do I know? Because I've done it. But onto these people, it's even worse because they're Jewish, and pigs, swine, hogs are unclean. So the fact that his job is to deal with unclean animals tells you how desperate this person is. That the only job he could get is to feed swine. And notice the pay's not that great. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. So if that food looked appetizing to him, you know exactly how desperate he is. If you ever want to know, I, I encourage you to go to a pig farm and, let, and ask them to let you feed them for a while. You'll be glad you have a different job. But apparently he wasn't getting paid minimum wage because even the garbage looked good to him and no one was giving him anything. What a loving country. Here's a man in desperate need and no one cares. But when he came to his senses, when he got a little smarter, when he started saying, you know, maybe I've hit rock bottom. Maybe I should do something else. So when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Yes, he has. Why? Because the scriptures tell us to honor our father and mother, and he did anything but that. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, and he's right. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. Now, that was the plan. He had rehearsed the speech. 
repented, acknowledged his sin, and asked not to be treated as a son, but simply as a hireling, someone who gets paid for what he does. But while he was still a long way off, he's not even close to home yet. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him a long way off, which to me means his father was looking for his son to come home. It wasn't, huh, one of these days he'll learn. His father was looking for him to return. His father saw him and felt compassion for him. Here's the son who said, I wish you were dead. The father has compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, in our feel-good world, we kind of get that. You know, we, would, we love our children, we love our grandchildren, and we, we go out to them. Not in this culture. In this culture, you go to dad. Dad doesn't come to you. He is too proud. He is position is of one of authority. So you want to talk to me, you come to me. But that's not what the father does. He runs to him. Embraces and kisses him. He doesn't even wait for the apology. He doesn't wait for the repentance. He doesn't wait for the speech. He feels compassion because he sees his son. He feels compassion because he loves his son. So he doesn't. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, notice the father interrupts. He doesn't even let him finish his speech. He doesn't say, well, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, so hire me out. He immediately interrupts him and says, but the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now, most of us, we really identify with the prodigal son. But again, the story is not about the prodigal son because the sinners and tax collectors were already there with Jesus. He's talking to the scribes, to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, and saying, God the Father has compassion on the sinner and seeks him and celebrates. This is now the third parable about something that was lost, having been found, was cause for celebration, not grumbling, not complaining. End of scene one. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. It's a party. It's going on. They're enjoying themselves. 
And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So the servant tells the older brother exactly what's happening, but he tells the older brother in the eyes of the father. There is celebration because your brother has been found. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. The older brother is the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people. They're upset. What do you mean you're celebrating? You're celebrating this contemptuous person. And notice he goes, he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out. Notice the father comes out again. He went to the prodigal son. Now he goes to the older son. The older son doesn't even go to the father. Notice it's always the father moving in direction of the need. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Again, something that a father in this culture does not do with his children. You tell your children what to do. He pleads with his children. Just as God needs to plead with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and religious leaders. But he, the older son, answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not even my brother, this son of yours came who devoured your wealth with prostitutes. Not just loose living. He says he devoured it with prostitutes, with pleasure, getting all the gusto that he could. You killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has become to live. He was lost and has been found. The third lost peace was the son. Notice, first of all, the owner went to look for his sheep, not any missing sheep, his sheep. As the good shepherd says, my sheep I know and they hear my voice. The woman was looking for her coin, not any lost coin. And the father here says, it's your brother, my son, who is dead and was lost, now found. We had to celebrate. Now, unfortunately, you hear all the sermons about the prodigal son, and we tend to identify with the prodigal son. But all too often, we forget that we also 
all too often identify with the older brother. Or you see, you notice that the older brother doesn't seem to have any characteristics of his father. He hung out with his father. He was there, he followed the commands of the father, but didn't have the same characteristics of the father. Didn't have love or compassion on even his own brother. And all too often, we church people, we people who attend church and hang out with God, so we think, and we do all kinds of religious things, and yet we seem not to be any more like our Father just because we're hanging out with Him. So yes, there is a story about two brothers. Seems one has a better press because even this is called the prodigal son. Jesus is not talking to the sinners. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He's talking to those church people who are in church and never seem to be excited that God is moving. Never seems to be excited that God is compassionate or loving and that God is bringing sinners to himself. It's what have you done for me, God, lately? How come I don't feel good? How come I don't have the warm fuzzies? How come you haven't given me all these blessings because I've been hanging out with you? And yet, we are no more like our Father. So this parable I offer to you is not about the prodigal son. He's speaking to the older brother by the scribes and Pharisees. But the parable is about God. Just as the first parable about the lost sheep was about God going after. Just about the second one, about God searching and working to find. And here, where God runs, feels compassion, and forgives before the words are even completed. And in the same way, whether you're the prodigal son or the older brother, God loves you too. He loves the older son. He went out to him, pleaded with him to come in and join the party. He loved the prodigal son because he ran to him and forgave him and embraced him and kissed him and treated as if nothing ever happened. Because that's the way God is. We think about all the things that we've blown it. We think about all the times that we've wasted sitting in a pew. Yet God embraces us, loves us, kisses us, and treats us as his sons and daughters. God through Jesus, is telling the religious people love your brother. Love those who are God's. Celebrate. Because let's face it, whether you like the party or not, it's going to happen. Because Jesus is forgiving people. Jesus is calling the prodigals 
and the older brothers together. And each of those, there is rejoicing in heaven. There's rejoicing when we turn to God, walk with God, and be with Him. So the next time you're feeling lonely, the next time you're feeling abandoned, remember, God hasn't forgotten you. You may have run away from Him. You may have even gone to a far country. He knows where you are. He's looking to bring you back. He doesn't even have to expect you to walk all the way. He will carry you on his shoulder. So I hope the next time you read any of these three passages, you will not see the sheep or the coin or the younger brother or the older brother. You will see God in action. And all God's people say. 